So I went to the doctor while I was there. She said, well, once you go on insulin, you know, you never come off. I looked at her and I said, I'll see you in 90 days. 90 days later, I took the box of insulin I put on her desk. I said, I'm done. She looked at me like I was nuts. She said, no one's ever done that. I said, like I told you, I said, you don't know me. Well, hello there, and welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for giving the show a listen this week, or a view, or a download, wherever it is in the world that you are. We appreciate the fact that you are here. Welcome to part three of our special Your Body and Balance series featuring Dr. Neil Barnard and stories of inspiration. This series, like the book of the same name, it explores the science of food, hormones, and health. And today we will be focusing that science on a disease that is exploding worldwide. And here in America, it has become an epidemic that is affecting tens of millions of people. And many of them aren't even aware that they have it. Today, we're going to be talking about diabetes. Dr. Barnard will be joining me momentarily to talk about the link between diabetes and hormones and the steps that you can take to prevent and even fight back against the disease. Because this has to be one of the most preventable conditions out there. So many cases are being driven by poor diet and an unhealthy lifestyle. Sadly, both of which have become increasingly common. And you put that together with skyrocketing obesity rates, and what you have is a recipe for diabetes disaster. But we're going to be changing that today. We're going to be flipping the script, as it were. Because even if you have diabetes, there is so much that you can do to bring it under control. And in many cases, you can even reverse it. Want some proof? We got that for you. After Dr. Barnard brings the science, you will be hearing from Bob Blackburn. He's a former Marine and a professional wrestler whose weight spiraled out of control. And then one day, the doctor diagnosed him with diabetes and wanted to start him on insulin. Now, this didn't sit well with Bob. The doctor, though, said that once you start this, Bob, you can't ever stop it. Well, Bob, basically, he looks him straight in the eye and he said, watch me. Watch me, doc. And what happened from there is why Bob is on the show today. Just an incredible human being, and I can't wait for you to hear his entire story. But before we can get to that, before we talk about that incredible tale, let's first learn how to get your body in balance and tackle diabetes with Dr. Barnard.
Continuing here on a special episode of the Exam Room Podcast brought to you by the Physicians Committee with the weight loss champion Chuck Carroll talking about the new book, Your Body Imbalanced, the New Science of Food, Hormones, and Health. Here now with the author of that book, Dr. Neil Barnard. Thanks for joining us again. Thank you, Chuck. We are talking about diabetes. We just heard from Bob Blackburn. I love Bob. Like, just an extraordinary individual, pure energy. I mean, how could you not be? I mean, he's Bob Blackburn. Just look at his background, right? But we're also talking about a book about hormones. Why are we talking about diabetes here? Yeah, um, well, it's because of insulin. Now, people think of insulin as something that you pick up at the pharmacy and you inject yourself with a needle and it's a drug. But insulin is, in fact, a hormone. Really? And it is. It's made in the pancreas. So the pancreas is a little sort of strap-like organ behind your belly button. And your, your pancreas makes it. And without insulin... You can't get sugar into cells. So, so what, what makes a hormone a hormone is it's made somewhere in the body and then it travels through the blood to some other part and it does its action. So insulin is made in the pancreas, hitches a ride in the bloodstream, goes to the muscle cells and gets glucose into the muscle, goes to the liver, helps glucose get into the liver, helps it get into fat cells and, and that kind of stuff. So that's what it does. And in diabetes, it is not doing its job. Right. So if a person has diabetes, how does it go haywire, so to speak? How does it go hormone haywire? Yeah. Well, the, the, there are different kinds of diabetes. And in type 1, which, which used to be called childhood onset, uh, in type 1, the, the cells that make it are dead. Um, the, the, the cells of the pancreas, called beta cells, that make insulin have been destroyed. And the, what killed them was an autoimmune reaction. Something in the body caused the cells of the body to make antibodies that are little protein torpedoes that, that are trying to knock out whatever invaded. They, they're there to knock out a virus or to knock out a bacterium. In this case, they're trying to knock out what they perceive to be a foreign invader, but they end up by friendly fire killing off your insulin-producing cells. Oh. And that's the cause of type 1 diabetes. Now, by the way, what triggers it, some people, there, there's a substantial evidence that dairy proteins can trigger it. Because th- think about it. Mother Nature never thought that protein from a cow would end up in a human body. Right. Um, and so it's treated like, in, in some kids, it's treated like a foreign a foreign protein, which actually it is. Now, that's still, a, that's still a theory. Right. There's a lot of evidence for it, but there's a lot of debate still. Now, type 2 diabetes, different story. Type 2 is the common form, um, and that's where your body is still making insulin, but the cells of the body resist it. So the muscle cells um, are sitting there trying to get glucose out of the blood. The insulin arrives just like a, a key, uh, a key in a lock that opens a door, the insulin attaches at the insulin receptor and interacts with it to open channels to let glucose in. Okay. And for some reason, the insulin cannot do its job. It's a key that just cannot get that door open. And the reason for it has been shown. Um, at Yale University, uh, some wonderful researchers, Jerry Shulman, Kit Peterson, and their team, they have taken research volunteers, they put them through this very expensive (laughs) magnetic resonance spectroscopy device. They go in through this huge magnetic donut. And what you're looking at is their muscle cells and their Mm -hmm. liver cells. And what you discover is that there are microscopic fat particles that have built up inside the muscle and liver cells. They came from what they ate. But as they build up in those cells, they interfere with insulin being able to function. And so for Bob, 
what happened to Bob? Bob was um, in the military. He had a career as an all-star wrestler. I mean, he had uh, an, an amazing experience. But along the way, he was eating a lot of not what he would describe as not-so-healthy foods. So the fat particles get into his muscle cells, his liver cells. The insulin that his body was making can no longer work, and his blood sugar starts to rise. Goes to the doctor. The doctor is unaware of what we've talked about. Right. The doctor doesn't know what happened at Yale. They don't know that the they, they've never heard of intramyocellular lipid, which is the fat that's built up. So what does the doctor say? The doctor says your blood sugar is too high. Congratulations, you got diabetes. Here, take these medications, and for the rest of your life. That's right. it. Right. That's the end of the story. Right. But luckily, not for Bob. Bob found a different approach to reverse this condition. Well, Bob not only found a different approach, he looked the doctor dead in the eye and he said, I'm finding that other approach just you watch. He didn't want to go down this road. He had seen too many of his friends, too many of his family do the same thing. And he right. sees these lines. We just heard him talk about this. The lines at the VA for diabetics lining up to get their medications. And he was like, I'm not doing that. I don't want to do that. We hear about these long lines from Bob and Diabetes, it seems like it's its an enormous problem. How many people now are actually diabetic? Isn't it trending upward? Uh, trending upward hugely here in the United States and, and much of the rest of the world, and, but just here in America. If you look at diabetes and, and pre-diabetes pre as well, which is the condition, it means your blood sugar is high but not quite at that level, you've got about 30% of the population. Wow. So, yes, it's, it's, it's huge. Um, but not just here. It follows wealth. Uh, if I can put it, I know that sounds strange, but in China, when China was a poorer country than it is now, what did people eat? They ate rice. Uh, when they're a little more wealthy, they're eating more pork. Mm. Um, and that transition in China, I, I'm being oversimplistic, but you get the idea. Um, to eat a meaty diet uh, was really only possible uh, when people had more economic means. Um, I was just in Saudi Arabia where we had a, a medical conference. Um, with wealth comes the ability to eat any old fatty food that comes along. Sure. And so diabetes is an epidemic there. It happened in Japan. In, in Japan, it was really a rice-based diet up in, in the 1950s, 1960s. Uh, very little diabetes. Extremely rare. And by the way, for all those people who think carbohydrate caused diabetes, look at Japan. They were eating white rice all day long, essentially no diabetes. As soon as McDonald's arrived and meaty lunches, that kind of thing, um, the fat content of the diet went way up. It, got, it gets into the muscle and liver cells. It causes insulin resistance, and bingo, you've got an epidemic of diabetes within a generation. In fact, within a decade, right. diabetes rates more than doubled in, in Japan. Yeah, and, and Japan, that story there is it's sad, but it's also fascinating. You know, we, we, We've heard Dan Buettner in the past talk about the blue zones, the places on Earth where people lived the longest, and Japan was right up there. Certain areas of Japan were right up there, but then as you see this high-fat Western diet try to you know, start to creep in there, you see the, that life expectancy start to trend downward as well. Yes, th that's right. And, and in fact, uh, Dan Buettner's work, I think, is, is brilliant. Um, and what he keyed in on was the centenarians, people who lived to be 100, were not all over Japan. They were particularly in, uh, pres present in Okinawa, the very bottom of Japan. And the dietary staple in, in Okinawa, by the way, is interesting. It's not fish. Not even rice. It's sweet potatoes. Really? Phenomenal amounts of sweet potatoes. And animal products were really pretty rare. That, as you said, now that's changing uh, because there are fast food chains coming, coming in. 
But in all of the blue zones, whether you're looking at Costa Rica, there's a certain part of Greece, um, or, or for, for that matter, Loma Linda, California, which is the, the blue zone in the U.S., what they all have in common is mo- more or less a plant-based diet. Um, not necessarily entirely vegan, but but bacon is not their thing. Right, right. You know, they're, they're eating. Um, they have uh, dietary staples based on grains. They all have uh, a lot of beans or bean-like products of, of one type or another, lots of vegetables, lots of fruits. And that may have been because of poverty. Um, but but they happen to have a very, what you might call a rich diet. It's cheap foods, but rich in vitamins and minerals. And then as soon as you get wealth, then you exchange all that for cheese and meat. We'll talk uh, more about that in just a second, the the science behind diabetes. But, you know, I'm thinking back to Bob's story. And I think then let's bring it back to the U.S. and maybe try to get some practical advice because Bob worked a job when he was still wrestling where he was on the road constantly driving between town and town. And so really the only options that he had were those all-night diners or food from a gas station. When you find yourself in a pickle like that, what advice can you give us to make sure that we try to keep things as healthy as possible? Uh, Some people are in that situation. And so – First of all, the, the prescription that we're recommending for people is if I want to get the fat out of my muscle cells and get the fat out of my liver cells so that insulin can work again, which, which is what we're going to do, and it, it does in fact work, um, what I want to do is avoid animal products because if I do that, I will avoid all animal fat. I want to also keep the, the greasy foods to a minimum, mm-hmm. um, so don't eat lots of peanut butter and fryer grease and that kind of stuff. Right. So you're on the road. Um, some places are going to work better than others. Let's say you go to a subway and you walk in, you see the cheese and meat, meat there. You say to the, 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 the cook, you say, I don't want any of that. Load it up with vegetables. So they'll load up the lettuce and the tomato and the cucumber slices and the olives and the hot peppers. and They'll douse it with a little bit of vinegar. Uh, they'll toast it for you. They'll call it uh, uh, veggie delight. And it's the cheapest thing on the menu. Right. And it's all right. It's not bad. You know, I mean, you know it's, uh, it'll work. Taco Bell, not the pinnacle of culinary art, um, as you know very well. Yes, I do. But <laughs> you've talked about it. So if that's where you're going to be, you're going you're gonna to forget the meat tacos. You might have a bean burrito, hold the cheese. Um, and if a person goes to other places, some of them have veggie burgers. But you've got to be cautious and, and go for the, the healthier healthier choices. Um, but you, you do the best you can. Yeah, and, and a lot of these places, I will say, uh, when, when I was first uh, transitioning my diet, um, I would just go in there and I would load up on fruit. You know, you, you walk into literally any convenience store and they have this section in the middle. It's refrigerated where you can get apples and oranges and bananas and things right. like that. You can just load up on that and you should be okay. You can. And if you're looking for a restaurant, uh, almost regardless of size, uh, cities and towns all across this country and most everywhere else, they've got an Italian place. They may call it Al's Pizza, but you go in there and they'll have spaghetti with a tomato sauce. Mm-hmm. Um, and they can make a pizza without the cheese. They might ask you twice, is that what you meant? But the answer is yeah. Give me extra sauce, give me extra veggies and so forth. So they've got an Italian place. And if you negotiate with them, you can get a vegan meal. And you're going to have to twist their arm a little bit about the olive oil because they, they're in <laughs> love with it. They want to douse everything in oil. But, but you've got to keep those oils low too yeah. to make this work. Okay. So, and many towns have a Chinese place. Mm-hmm. And skip past the pork and so forth. But look at the vegetable part of the menu. 
And they mean vegetable dishes, not just side dishes. They've got rice dishes. They've got tofu dishes and vegetable dishes. Same story. Ask them to make it without animal products, but keep the oil really, really low. If they have a sauce, have the sauce on the side so they use very little. Uh, you go to a sushi bar or Japanese restaurant. Yes, they got all the fish sushi. Don't eat that stuff. But they've got cucumber rolls. They've got asparagus rolls, a sweet potato roll. Um, they'll have seaweed salads and, and garden salads and miso soup and delicious things that happen to be also naturally very low, low in fat. Um, or let's say you're out with the friends and they all want to eat at the steakhouse. At that point, get the menu, look at all the sides. Surprisingly enough, Despite all of their sins, um, steakhouses have – they're often very proud of all the side vegetables. Have a look at the menu, and, and you'll see what I mean. They've got broccoli and sweet potatoes and, and baked potatoes and all kinds of stuff. So ask, say to the cook, hey, look, I'm vegan. Can you impress me? They will consider this a challenge they want to succeed at. That's, that's really funny that you say that because I was just talking uh, last month with uh, Jeff and Audrey Dunham. You know Jeff Dunham, the famous sure, French yeah, yeah. He was telling me that when he's on the road, he doesn't mind if the crew wants to stop at the steakhouse because that is literally the easiest place for him to make sure that he gets not, not just a plant-based meal but a really good one. And it seems so counterintuitive. He thinks it's the funniest thing in the world. It, 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 you, you could do this. Um, or you stop in a Denny's. It's breakfast, and you smell bacon and sausage, and you can almost hear your coronary arteries snapping closed um, as you walk in the place. But um, if you say to them, could you put some uh, spinach on the grill for me and some tomatoes and some mushrooms? They've got all those things because they stuff them in an omelet. Mm -hmm. And you're the first person who walked in and actually wants to eat that stuff. So grill some uh, spinach or maybe some asparagus at some of the diners. They might have that for for an omelet too. You're not having the omelet. You're having the asparagus or the spinach or the tomatoes and the mushrooms. Have, have some toast with it. No butter on the toast. And they'll bring you a plate of all of these things. And everyone around you will say, I should have ordered that. <laughs> um, some of them have veggie burgers and things too. Um, we're talking so much about food here and diabetes. Obviously, they go hand in hand. A lot of people think that really the only way to get diabetes is if you eat an abundance of sweets. You just load up on candy bars. What's the connection there? Um, it's understandable that people would, would have that impression because diabetes means there's too much sugar in the blood. And so people thought, well, I must have gotten it by eating sugar. And indeed, if a person has diabetes, when they eat sugar, their blood sugar rises. So they think, that's my problem. That's not the problem. That's the symptom. Nor, you, your body is built to be able to eat sweet foods like an apple or a pear. And that sugar, your body can extract that sugar and pack it into your muscle cells. The reason people have diabetes, as as we've said, is that the fat buildup inside the cells means that sugar can't get in anymore Hmm. um, because insulin can't escort it anymore. So it is true that anything they eat now that has sugar in it will make their blood sugar rise. That's not the problem. The problem is the buildup of fat inside the cell. And, And once you get the fat out of the cell. Then you're, eat, then you're eating the fruit, you're eating the bread, whatever it is, and your blood sugar no longer rises. I was just going to ask you about fruit. Natural sugars causes the blood sugar to rise less? Is yes. that something diabetics should be avoiding, or is that still good to go? The more fruit, the better. Okay. The more fruit, the better. And, and it's, it's counterintuitive because uh, fruit is sweet, and it does have sugar in it. But it's, most fruits are what we call low glycemic index, and that means the sugar that's in them tends not to raise your blood sugar very much. Now, if a person has diabetes and insulin resistance, everything they eat that has sugar or carbohydrate will make their blood sugar rise. What I would suggest that a person, th- that they do, is while they're working with their, their caregiver, 
You know, you don't want to be the Lone Ranger. You work with your doctor, your caregiver. But um, go on a diet that has no animal products in it. Have plenty of fruit, plenty of beans, whole grains, and vegetables. And for the first couple of days, you'll freak out a little bit because your blood sugar will rise because you're insulin resistant. But after three, four days, something like that, maybe sooner, your blood sugar starts to fall. And it starts to fall fast. And what you discover is that as the fat is getting out of your cells, your cells can take that sugar out of the blood quickly and your blood sugar just goes down. Um, it can be shocking if you're on insulin. Mm-hmm. The combination of this powerful diet, a low-fat vegan diet, and the insulin you're taking can, can be too much for you so that your blood sugar can fall too low. And that's why if you work with your doctor or other caregiver so that they back you off on your medication so that for, for safety. But what a wonderful feeling it is to take that insulin pen and throw it in the trash. Who, who likes shots, right? Um, a lot of people – I also – I can't wrap this up without asking you about the genetic component here because a lot of people think, well, my grandfather had it. My grandmother had it. and my, Both of my parents have it. My brothers, my sisters, they have it. I'm going to get it. What is the genetic connection here? Genes are not destiny. Um, you, there are genes that, that will cause both type 1 and type 2. Um, they, they do tend to run in families, and there's a genetic tendency. Um, but genes are in really two different categories. There are dictator genes, blue eyes. It, it, when your genes say blue eyes, you are not going <laughs> to you, you, argue. That's, that, there is nothing you can do. Right. You're going to have blue eyes. Blonde hair, that's just the way it is. Brown hair, brown eyes, whatever it is, those are dictator genes. They, they give orders. You're going to get it. The genes for diabetes are more like committees. They make a suggestion. You could get diabetes if, if you are a meat eater, if you're sedentary, um, if you're not eating your vegetables, then you, then you can get it. And in fact, many of the disease, disease genes are in that category. There are genes for lung cancer. And I mean, there are a lot of genes for lung cancer, but one of them in particular, um, the way you look at people who have this gene, they got more lung cancer. But the way this particular gene works is when you smoke cigarettes and you inhale carcinogens, you normally can detoxify those carcinogens and get rid of them. This particular gene means you can't detoxify carcinogens very well. So what that means is if you're a smoker and you've got this gene, you're going to get lung cancer. Right. But if you've got the same gene but you don't ever smoke cigarettes, it's irrelevant. You're, you're not going to get cancer. So let's say you've got a tendency toward type 2 diabetes. It's all up and down your family tree, but you don't eat like your family. If, if you eat a low-fat, plant-based diet, your likelihood of getting diabetes can be dramatically altered. Because, okay, so the bottom line, we don't just give our kids DNA. We give them recipes. We give them tastes for foods. And what often we see passing from grandparent to parent to, to child to, to, to subsequent generations, it's culture. It's taste for foods. It's certain kinds of, of eating patterns. And that gives us real power because much as I want the listeners on this show to be healthy and I know you do too the, the the real power is what we hand on to the next generation and to our friends because you get a metformin prescription or insulin prescription that's not going to affect anybody else other than you right but when you learn a healthy diet and you decide to break a family tradition of diabetes and say from now on we're going to have a family tradition of good health it's a, a tremendous gift that's a legacy to hand down. Uh, final thoughts as we wrap things up here? Diabetes used to be thought as a one-way street. 
Doctors would even say, once you're diabetic, you'll always be diabetic. That was not true. Diabetes is a two-way street. I say, let's uh, turn the car around, get back to health. Yeah. Bob Blackburn is a, a prime example of that. You can read all about his story, more about diabetes and hormones and your body and balance, the new science of food, hormones, and health. Uh, you're actually going out on tour, uh, meeting the world, going to field some questions, give some talks about this. I'm sure you're going to go in-depth. Uh, PCRM.org slash book tours where you can find the dates to go see Dr. Barnard get your book signed. I'm really looking forward to that. I, th I think it's going to be a very exciting thing because for so many people, they struggle with these conditions. And with a little bit of information, things can turn around. Well, I appreciate you being here today, my friend. Thank you, Chuck. Remember what Dr. Barnard said. Genes are not destiny. You have the power to switch off that diabetes gene. And the best way to do that is just to change your diet. Think about this. Even if you have a twin, if you change your diet, but they keep on eating the standard American diet, your risk of diabetes is dramatically lower than theirs. And if you already have it, well, you might even be able to reverse it. Get off of the medication while they continue down the same path. Now, obviously, you want them to change with you, but that is a prime example of genes not being your destiny and the realization that you have the power. You already have it. You have that power to take control of your health. And my next guest, well, he knows all about that. Bob Blackburn. I went down to my old stomping grounds of Virginia Beach to sit down with him for a little while. I had to talk to this guy. And the first thing that you need to know about Bob is that he is a character full of life. I mean, heck, he's already lived a full life and he has many years still ahead of him. Bob is a true testament to what can happen with a little hard work, a resolve to change and a dedication to your health. Bob, he's a former Marine diagnosed with diabetes who looked the doctor square in the eye. A doctor who had just told him that once he started insulin, he would be on it for the rest of his life and there would be no way to come off of it. Bob told that doctor, watch me. On location with the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee with the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Sitting across from a true inspiration, you want to talk about somebody that has turned their life all the way around. Bob Blackburn, welcome to the Exam Room, my Thank friend. Thank you, my friend. Your story is quite unique. You, first of all, are a very unique individual. You have a lot of personality. I love the story. I'm anxious to tell it. But I think just to be sitting across from you a number of years ago, you may not have even thought that this might have been possible after a conversation you had. A number of years ago, I might have been dead, man. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're here today. I, I, uh, I, was, I was certainly on a crash course with the wrong side of the of the uh, flowers. Yeah, I, I, I read up about this, your, your battle with diabetes and how you were 
able to just completely eliminate that, I think is something that's really going to resonate with so many people. Um, but let's kind of walk up to that day when the doctor gave you a call and said, hey, Bob, you, you have diabetes. I, I mean, I think it really begins in our youth and the food habits that we develop as children. What was your diet like growing well, up? Well, I mean, you're looking at a kid from, uh, Italian kid from Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, you know, a lot of food was part of the culture. Food was, uh, we'd get together on Sundays. You know, food was family. Food was important. Mm-hmm. Food was a language. Um, and good food. And I, I don't mean, you know, I mean, not that I didn't over the time eat a bunch of garbage, but, you know, my grandmother, you know, came from northern Italy. She she cooked, you know, from scratch. It was, you know, pastas. It was chicken, white, uh, chicken with white sauce. It was, you know, pork, uh, pochetta. It was uh, brajolatini. I mean, there was every kind of... You know, thing. I, I became a very ethnic eater. My aunt uh, married a nice Lebanese man. I ate everything that was ever made in the Middle East. Yeah. Um, so, food food was a language, and 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 that language continued. You know. Now, mind you, I go in the Marine Corps. You know, eighteen years old, and obviously the food there isn't as good. Um, but you. You, you kind of eat to survive there. And, and my metabolism was good. And I was young. I was lifting. I was working out. Um, and, and so food, was, food wasn't a problem. Right. I, just, I could just eat whatever, you know, I wanted. So you never struggled with weight growing no, up? I was relatively fit, you know, I mean, my whole life. Uh, I mean, my youth I was. You know, yeah. I played ball, you know, played sports and... So I was always, you know, very active and, and all that. And then, like I said, when you go in the Marine Corps, there's, a, there's, a, there's not too many fat Marines when they're in. You know, the <laughs> fat Marines, we're all fat Marines when we get out, but yeah. we're not fat Marines when we're in. Uh, well, you say fat Marines when you get out. What was the food like there? Because I believe you were stationed in what? Ber- uh, I was Beirut? in Grenada and Beirut. Okay. Um, I, that was in uh, 1983. I was in the invasion, uh, in the liberation of Grenada. Um, with uh, what was then called the 22nd uh, Marine Amphibious Unit. And then we went to Beirut right after the uh, bombing of the barracks and where 270 Americans, and primarily Marines, were killed. Um, so, you know, the uh, food in the Marine Corps, food in the military isn't particularly good. I mean, in combat, of course, we back in my day, we were eating what they called MREs, which were these gross things in the freeze-dried nonsense in a in a bag. Um, when I first went in, I'm, I'm old enough that we had what was called sea rations where everything came in a can. Mm-hmm. You should take your helmet apart and put the stuff in the can, in the in the metal pot of your helmet, and you made what we called tanker stew. We just poured everything in the pot in your in your helmet, and you ate it right out of your helmet. Lord. Yeah, it, it wasn't five, five-star five dining. No, no, clearly not. Uh, I mean, did you realize like, what the ramifications possibly could be at that point, eating that type of food? Well, um, not so much. I mean, other than, so my dad, my, my dad died when I was 14 years old. Um, he was 53 when he passed away, and he died of cancer. But leading up to his cancer, he had 
uh, adult onset diabetes. Mm. Um, so I do remember the blue pills uh, the, back then. Back then, the blue pill was was uh, was metformin. It wasn't what it is now. Right. Um, and uh, the so I you know I knew about I kind of knew about what diabetes kind of was mm-hmm. and but no I mean you know I I I just ate you know I just was eating to you know eat right and then. Fast forward out of the military, I go into the wrestling business. Of course, I'm, you know, lifting weights and eating and, you know, traveling and, you know, not taking care of myself maybe in other ways. Um, and, you know, I, I was, at that point, I was probably up to about 275 pounds. Okay. Um, and then uh, I get out of the wrestling business, got married had we had our first child my first wife and i had a first child who was multi handicapped a lot of stress um i i ate well, i like to say that my wife gained my first wife gained 40 pounds you know pregnant i did too and never gave it back <laughs> um and it just kind of got from there it just kind of spiraled you know right. I, I i stopped training i just ate yeah and you know, I was just a big guy, and you know, didn't didn't care. I didn't think there was anything wrong. Sure. Uh, there's a lot in between the the, the periods there. Yeah. Uh, so when you when you got out of the Marines, uh, what would you say your weight was? Two and a quarter. Two and a quarter, and then by the time you get in the ring, you're about two seventy five. Two seventy five. Well, I, I I started when I started wrestling. I I just started lift. You know, I was lifting pretty good. So I was about two fifty three when I started wrestling, and then. I I worked out, you know, till, till I got to about 275 where I kind of, that's where I kind of, I worked at. Right, right. Now, a lot of times you're lifting, I assume you're trying to put on muscle yeah. at that point oh, yeah. for yeah. your physique. Were you focusing on eating a lot of meat, a lot of, like a very yeah, protein heavy diet? Yeah, a lot of protein, a lot of, you know, um, yeah, I, th- I, 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 th- I think, uh, I think the, Closest thing we can eat in a salad might be a lettuce and a tomato on a burger. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I mean very, very few vegetables. Um, and you know, back, you know, you got to realize that. So we're talking about the mid '80s, you know, when a, a lot of this nutritional information that we have now wasn't available. Right, right. We didn't know what we didn't know. Right. Uh, we didn't know. What we were being told wasn't necessarily right either. Sure. So yeah, we, you know, so we're you know you're eating the red meat, you're eating you know skinless, boneless chicken breasts and and you know turkey breasts. And, right. You know, just the, just the copious amounts meats, yeah. of healthy meat. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know there was anything. Been in. So yeah, so it, it was you know a lot of protein powders and yeah and just yeah copious amounts of protein and very little of anything that looked like a vegetable right anything to to bulk up right. and i also know being familiar with the wrestling business myself you work shows at night and then your options to eat after the show are very limited. You wind up eating whatever you can find in a gas station or right. the waffle, waffle house, house is is super popular. I right. mean so you would go there i mean Get one of the steaks, I would assume. Steak and eggs, yeah. I yeah. mean, all dep- really depending on how much money you made that night. <laughs> so some nights it was what we called the bologna blowout. The uh-huh. bologna blowout was you bought a loaf of bread, 
a thing of bologna and you'd steal the mustard from the from the uh, McDonald's. Yeah. And you'd eat the loaf of bread with the with the with the bologna. White bread, I'm assuming. White bread, oh, yeah, yeah, only white. <laughs> but I mean, but that was the that was the norm in wrestling. Right. And again, I don't think at that point you equated what you were doing to your health and didn't care. Right. And did you? I, I want to go back to when you were a teen because you said that your your father had onset diabetes. Right. Did you guys realize at all that that may have been driven by his diet at all? Well, part, I, no. Did, did would I? I wouldn't have been that um, aware. Right. I mean, again, my dad died when I was 14 years right. old. Right. Um, so, you know, and, and, my, and my dad also uh, smoked, you know, three packs of cigarettes a day and, and drank a lot of alcohol. Who knew? Sure. You know I mean, it could have been, we didn't know. If, like, yeah. Didn't know, wasn't aware, probably didn't care. You know, that was just my dad. Well, let's let's tell some stories here. Uh, the wrestling business is a unique one, and how, can you talk to me about some of the guys that you may have wrestled that our viewers, our listeners might be familiar with? I know you've been in the ring with some big names. Well, um, my roommate in Memphis, Tennessee, was the Undertaker. Oh, get out of town! Yeah, he was. Uh, there was five of us in a one-bedroom apartment. That was a real luxury living back then. <laughs> um, Let's see. I, uh, I, I worked in uh, Calgary, Alberta, with uh, for the Hearts, and uh, so I was in the ring with uh, the late Owen Hart and uh, the late Brian Pillman. Um, unfortunately, a lot of lates. Um, I uh, I partnered on a project with Arn Anderson. I was uh, quarterbacked his autobiography. Um, Amongst other things involved with that, uh, we um, uh, worked with uh, uh, my one of my tag team partners was the one of the original Moon Dogs, Randy Colley, and uh, Randy is uh, uh, not doing well down, and he's living in a in a facility in Alabama. Now um, uh, was trained by Nelson Royal and Gene Anderson, both who have since passed uh it's kind of a sad business really it, it, it is i mean and a, just, and a lot of it has to do with lifestyle and and nutrition absolutely we, we talked a little bit about eating habits and wrestling but i'm curious when you guys when you shared that apartment in memphis the five of you together right. did you have meals together i mean can you give us an no, idea it was more yeah. like when you were in so a week in Memphis, as an example, we actually lived in Nashville. So okay. a week looked like this. Saturday morning, you'd get up at zero dark 30, drive from Nashville to Memphis, about 250, 275 miles, to do live television at 10 in the morning um, in downtown Memphis. Right. You then get back in the car, grab a bag of food, drive back to Nashville, and wrestle in Nashville at the fairgrounds on Saturday night. Sunday, after you got up, went to the gym, whatever, you'd drive back to the other side of Memphis, over to Jonesboro, Arkansas. You'd work in Jonesboro on Sunday. Then you'd stay Sunday night in Memphis at the Admiral Benbow Inn. That was a real classy spot. <laughs> we'd go to the, then we'd wrestle the Mid-South Coliseum on Monday nights, then back home to Nashville Monday night, so, again, another 250-something miles. 
Then you go up to Louisville, Kentucky on Tuesday. Henderson, Kentucky was Wednesday. Thursday was what they called a spot show somewhere in the greater Nashville area. Friday, something similar, and Saturday you'd do it again. So, I mean, you were looking at about a 1,500 to 1,700-mile week. Most of it, the time you're either you're eating in the car or you grab something at the gym. Mm-hmm. It's not, again, the business I was in was what they called the territories. Yes. So, I, you know, I don't have a lot of stories of, you know, international flights and, you know, um, traveling, you know, globally. Right. Uh, I traveled by my Cadillac, and and I traveled Alabama, Mississippi, Florida, Tennessee, Georgia, all over Canada, all over New England, you know, and then a couple of trips out of the country. And that took, uh, I'm sure, just a significant wear and tear on your body. Oh, it's significant. Well, you, th- I mean, you realize it. You. Wrestling every night. I mean, I'm on the road every night for 330 nights a year. You're throwing yourself on the floor over and over and over and over again. Yeah. You know, you're getting hit. You're getting knocked out. You're getting punched or whatever. I mean, you know, it, it, yeah, your, your body takes a bit of a ringing. And how old were you when you started wrestling? 21. And, and you were in the business for how many years? Just about six years. Six. Okay. Yeah, I, I got out relatively quickly. But my my accountant actually had a lot to do with it. Yeah, they, he asked me why I drove 450 miles one way for fifty dollars, and I told him, "Well, I don't know." He said, "Then why'd you do it again two weeks later?" And I said, "I didn't have a real good answer." Yeah. So at that point, it started to make sense that as a business, it wasn't really profitable. Right. Right. How would you say that your body? was when you began training versus the day that you left the business. What kind of wear and tear specifically are we talking about? Well, I mean, you know, my knees were my knees were pretty tore up. I had torn both my ankles off the bone, um, broken my nose four times, broken my hands twice. Um, probably not a... F- I don't think I have a finger in my hand that isn't, hasn't been broken. Um probably had two or three concussions so you know i mean and there's probably stuff i don't even know about sure you know sure i i like to say you know at 56 years old i sit here with you today uh i wake up in sections when i wake up in the morning like oh yeah that doesn't work oh this is you know oops (laughs) so it all kind of depends on you know what day it is and and i don't need to watch uh doppler weather I can tell you pretty much if it's going to rain, snow, sleet, or hail, uh, just by how I feel that day. Um, but then you, you stop all the physicality. You leave the business. But as you said earlier, your eating habits don't really change. You no, know, I, I, yeah, I continued to eat like I was lifting and all that. Yeah, that wasn't. I like to say I went from working out at the gym to working out at the buffet. Oh. And and I, I mean, I just I didn't, you know. And I think a lot of it was. Um, I've had a couple of bouts somewhere along the line with situational depression, um, and, you know, food became kind of, that was my medicine. Yeah. So, you know, I used to, the joke was, well, there was, I had two, was two, when I was wrestling, the joke was that my tag team partner and I never used a a roadmap. We only used menus. (laughs) We knew where every barbecue restaurant was between 
Alexander City, Alabama, and pick the town we were going to. Sure. And we knew if we were going to Columbus, Mississippi, that we were going by the Rib Crib, which was this little um, cinder block shack by the side of the road on some rural, you know, podunk town in nowhere, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Like, we knew where all those kind of joints were. And this is long before the days of GPS. Oh, yeah, we didn't, we didn't need a GPS. No. And then, and then the, you know, and then I would plan my day by what I was eating. Mm. Like, oh, hey, I'm going to be over in such and such a neighborhood. I'm going by such and such place, and I'm going to have, you know, such and such. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was, it, I mean, it was, it was, it consumed my mind. Absolutely. How, how rapidly did you start putting on the, the pounds? I, you know, it's, I, it's funny. I, I, I saw a picture the other day. It was one of those Facebook memory things, whatever, mm. that I, something I had posted from way back in the day. And, I mean... Evidently, it was pretty quick. Um, <laughs> I, I, prob- I was in the three, two or three different times in my life, I'd been up to as high as 340. Wow. And um, I sit here today about 220, 225. You know, I, I've done this yeah. uh, more than once. Sure. Uh, pr- between my first and second marriage, I had gained a lot of weight. And then prior to getting married, I had... I dropped. I, I went down to like two sixty or two sixty five, and I thought I was skinny. Right. You know, it's yeah. kind of funny. I didn't really think about it. <laughs> so, when did you notice like your health then started to deteriorate with that? I couldn't have told you the difference between my health deteriorating, honestly, and and, and anything else because I, I wasn't. I didn't go to the doctor. You know, I mean, I I, I used to. I was famous for saying. Well, I'm fine, and you know I got good genes, and I don't have diabetes. And then, um, so I married the second. I got married. I had two boys that are now in high school. Both uh, one is now a senior, and the other one's a sophomore. Both of them actually taller than I am. And you know, I started to think, you know, man, like I, I started to get a little nervous. So I. Got divorced a second time. I was had been dating. I've been started to date. I'd been dating this. I'd been dating this one gal on and off for about five or six years, and things weren't going well. And interrelationally, is that good? And um, and they, I so I thought there was something wrong, like in that area. Right. So. That's what I went to the doctor for. Gotcha. And and that's what prompted me looking at my health. Right. <laughs> right. So I didn't go for any noble reasons. I think a lot of men would say that's the most of noble reasons. Well, I, you know, I would want to say that. But, you know, uh, being this is a, you know, podcast and we're going on the World Wide Web, we don't want, you know, want to cast any shade. <laughs> but the, the, the fact is, is that, you know man to man like things weren't good yeah so i was going to fix you know i'm a man i'm going to fix that right so that's what i that was what i went to fix right you went to get that other little blue pill right yeah, it's right I, that, exactly yeah. which evidently didn't work either ah. but so yeah that that was exactly the situation and then and then we and then 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 they gave me the battery of tests and you know and 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 the real wake-up call, honestly, though, is after all that. You said we're looking at this was three years ago, next month, mm. November sixth, 
uh, November 29th of 2016, I, I stood there on that day realizing that I was 53 years old and my oldest son was 14. Mm. And my dad was 53 years old and I was 14 when he died. So that, that irony wasn't lost. No. And I would imagine with it being the holidays and, oh, yeah. and, and all and those that emotions was the other that comes yeah, with it. Yeah. Were, that, that's never easy. But, but yeah, no. And I mean, so there was a lot of, you know, that, 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 that was a pretty emotional. Uh, I, I would tell you that probably from the time I was, my first, my daughter, I had a daughter that was born, my first daughter was born, my first child was born um, when I was 27 years old. She was deaf, blind, mentally retarded, wheelchair, cerebral palsy. Uh, she, she, she passed away when she turned 14. Mm. So um, th- there was a number of years in there that are somewhat fuzzy and lost mentally, um, probably as a protection, you know, uh, mechanism. Um, but there was a lot of just wasted years of just eating and not paying attention to anything. Um, fast forward, you know, having gone through, you know, two divorces and all of that, I have had a couple of periods of some, you know, situational depression where, mm-hmm. where food became the, the element as the, you know, the, the thing. So... To, to try to put a bow on it, I learned about myself that food is a bit of a crutch. Um, and it doesn't take much to knock me off. I mean, I was, I, I do like to say the inner fat kid rages sometimes. And, you know, um, but, you know, for the, for the most part, I keep myself straight now. Yeah. So let's talk, let's talk about when you got that diagnosis. What were your numbers like? The, the A1C number was uh, an excess of 9.9. Um, my cholesterol numbers were through the roof. My blood sugar was somewhere in the 300s. Wow. Pretty eye-opening. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, scary big. What was that conversation like with the doctor? Well, yeah, you know, so first of all, you got to realize that, uh, pardon the political statement, but uh, health care at the Veterans Administration is uh, not a real personal experience. So she says to me, Bob, you have diabetes. I said, I have what? Just like that, flat yeah, out, matter flat of out, fact. Flat out, boom, you have diabetes. I said, mm. okay. I said, uh, what's, what do we do? She said, well, we're going to give you metformin. And you're gonna, uh, you need to come back next Tuesday to go to the uh, the uh, dis- the diabetes uh, education class. It's an all day affair, and at the end of the class, we'll give you your um, meter to uh, poke your finger, and uh, that was it. So, color me shocked at that moment. Sure. At that point. I was, it was relatively early in the morning, 10, 11 o'clock, something like that. I got in the car, 
over in it's over in Hampton, mm-hmm. from town you're familiar with. And I'm coming back over the bridge and tunnel, and I pick up the phone and I call my friend John Dempsey. And John is a I like to refer to him as the forks and knives legend, John Dempsey. And and Dempsey had at that point in his life had lost well over a hundred pounds uh, with because of health reasons of eating um, plant based. And I, so I called him. I said, John, this is what happened. You know, what do I do? He says, pull up Neil Barnard. I said, who's that? <laughs> he said, oh, he's a doctor, da-da-da. You know, he wrote a book on, on uh, reversing diabetes, this and that, and the other thing. I said, okay. What else you got? He said, uh, he said uh, well, there's this other guy, uh, Furman. He said, he's got a book, too. So I go home, literally, with the iPad, sitting there on my couch, pull up the book, and then I, I stopped, I went through about, I don't know, eight or ten of uh, Doc DeBonard's videos, because mm-hmm. he had a TED Talk, and he had a couple of other things. That, you know, this was three years ago, so I don't know, there's probably more out there, folks. But I went through this kind of self-education, and then I, so then I find the book, I download it to the iPad. I read it literally twice that night, one night. I mean, I didn't sleep very well. I was, I was really pissed. Sure. And I was upset, and I was nervous. And I have all these other thoughts going through my head. My son's 14. I'm 53. Don't die, you know. So I, I got all this information. So I... Went, I don't know, 3, 4 in the morning, went into my cupboard, and I started throwing crap away. So I called John at, like, I don't know, 7.30. He's like, what the hell are you calling me this early for? <laughs> and I said, all right, what do I eat? He said, what do you mean? I said, well, I'm going to be a whole food, plant-based, vegan, whatever the heck that is. I said, what do I do? So what do I eat? Oh, he said, well... He said, uh, well, what did it say in the book? I said, well, something about oatmeal. <laughs> the hell, I don't like oatmeal. He said, dude, do what it says. Well, I don't have any oatmeal. So I go to Starbucks. They got oatmeal. And then for about 30 days, I don't really know what I'm doing. Right. I mean, I might as you might as well give me a white stick and a dog, and I'm over there floating around trying to find out what to eat. <laughs> and I, I end up, I mean, even to the point where I had learned, I learned in 30 days about vegan junk food. Mm. Like I, re- I learned you could go to Taco Bell and get some sort of thing called El Fresco and eat some kind of nonsense at, at Taco Bell. I'm thinking, oh, this, this vegan thing isn't that bad, you know. And, then I then so now I'm but now I'm starting to study, and then I get I get connected with because I'm online I'm like all right there's got to be I'm, I'm not doing this right mm. you know what I mean and and at that point I'm studying but I'm not I'm more I'm I'm more fearful than anything else sure okay so let me back up weekend. So the first day, right? I, I I get on the thing. I told John that next morning I'm a, I'm a, you know I'm going to do this whole food plant based thing, right? Seven days later, I have to go to the VA mm-hmm. for the 
um, that seminar, right? that seminar. Yeah. So I bring a bag of fruit, and I'm eating fruit. You take a bag of fruit to a diabetes to, seminar. To a diabetes seminar. Because I don't know any better, like, and I don't know what else I could take to eat, so I'm just eating fruit. So I could, remember, I still don't know what the heck I'm doing, right? Right. So, I, dude, I've eaten four apples, four oranges. I mean, I'm eating some pretty good fruit. So then it comes lunchtime. They give us a bag lunch. In the bag lunch was the gas station sandwich. You know the gas station sandwich. Uh, you know do. the one that's pre-wrapped in the in the in that funky uh, triangular uh-huh. like fake box. Absolutely. With a bunch of ingredients on it that you can't spell, <laughs> never mind pronounce, right? This is what's in the bag. Oh yeah, with a a cookie. Let's call it with graham crackers, but it's a cookie. Graham crackers are a cookie. Okay. So they had, they had this gas station sandwich, graham crackers and a cookie, and maybe an apple or something. There mm-hmm. might have been a piece of fruit in there. Mm-hmm. Maybe a banana. Mm-hmm. If I'm, I don't remember. But it, it was insignificant to get me past the gas station sandwich. Now, mind you, I'm only seven days into my you know, whole food, plant-based, I'm reading all this stuff diet. And I said to the lady... What the hell is this? Well, that's a balanced lunch. Da, 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 da. I'm like, ma'am, I said, there's got to be a different way. I'm not eating this stuff. Right. And I said, oh, yeah, and I'm not counting carbs. Oh, if you don't count carbohydrates, you're going to, you know, I mean, and, and she, like, gets belligerent with me, right? And mind you, we're in this room full of people, you know. And, and this one guy said, so they're talking about carbs and this and that. And the guy said, well, I like my vegetables, but I like them, I like them fried. <laughs> and, I, I mean, and like, like everybody's like historical bad habits for eating, like, are in this room. You've opened the floodgates. And, and, oh, and, and I just left there, like, more confused than I was when I got there. Right. So then, of course, they give you the meter. So I get the meter, and, the, and it's 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and it's time to leave. Now, mind you, I, I've eaten a bag of fruit. Right. I hit my finger. Okay. It was like 400. Whoa. Because I just had, you know, I'd eaten, like, a lot of fruit. Okay. <laughs> okay. And I was already high to begin with because, you know, I, I've gotten 30, 40 15 years of eating garbage. Right. right. So I hit the number. I'm over 400. The lady's like, oh, we should take you to the emergency room. I said, you better take the guy to the emergency room to eat that stupid sandwich. I said, he's the one that's more likely to die than I am. I said, I'll be all right. So I go home. At this point, now I'm motivated, yeah? So I call. I, I go online. I find this um, nutrition dietitian. She's a dietitian out in California. Because I, I didn't feel like... I was really in control of what I was doing. So I sent her like a few bucks, literally a few dollars, maybe a hundred dollars. And she kind of helped me put together, you know, what do I eat in the morning? What can I eat during the day? You know, that kind of thing. Just so I at least had a plan. Because, all right, so at this point, remember now, I'm a single dad. My, I don't have my kids all the time. I would cook for them whatever. Right. I just wasn't eating it. Right. You know, and I didn't really cook a lot for myself. So 
I would incorporate like big salads and things like that. And then I, I kind of got on, th then I got connected with Cyrus Kambata, who- Mastering diabetes. Mastering diabetes. Yeah. And he and I hit it off and he helped me kind of really wrap the fruit into what I was doing. And, and actually he taught me how to cut a mango. Um, That's a skill, my friend. Yeah, I, I met him at, at, at uh, Dr. Barnett's uh, symposium up in D.C. a couple of years ago. And, and uh, I, I loved the whole idea of a mango, and I liked eating them, but I didn't. Every time I went to cut one, it was a mang I was mangling the mango. Oh, yeah. And he, so he did it with a plastic knife from the hotel, and show, he filleted one for me and showed me how to do it, and it's, that's been life altering. Get out of town. Yeah, he, the guy's. Well, the, you know, he, his his company is Mango Man Nutrition. <laughs> so anyway, um, so I, I got kind of connected with with him, and and he kind of coached me up a little bit as far as um, kind of dialing the diet in, and after this second week so after the week maybe actually the day i went to that stupid class i had already taken the the metformin for about three or four days mm. because by the time it got to me so i'd only been on it for like two days sure it made me sick as a dog mm. so i went to the doctor while i was there i went upstairs and i said i gave her the big you know i brought in the four-gallon bottle of that stuff that VA sends you, right? And I put it on her desk, and I said, I'm taking this. I said, give me the shots. She said, what? I said, I'd rather shoot myself with the insulin than take that crap. At least the insulin is a pure shot, and it's something that the body uses, then that, because that makes me sick. She said, well, once you go on insulin, you know, you never come off. I went... I said, I'll be back in 90 days. And she said, okay. She said, nobody's ever been, nobody ever comes off the insulin when they go on. Very skeptical. I looked at her and I said, I'll see you in 90 days. Give me the shots. So I go down to the pharmacy. They order everything. It gets shipped to my house. Three days later, boom, I start, you know, I start hitting the shots. So somewhere in that 90-day period, I've now gotten my diet kind of a little more understandable. You know, it's more livable. I, I, I will tell you that my girlfriend at the time was annoyed with me because I was, I was almost miserable to go eat anywhere with because I, I became that guy. That the, guy. The guy that, I want this, this, and that, but I want it on the side. None of this, that, or the other thing, but give me that, which isn't on the menu. You know, I mean, I, I really became annoying. Um, but my breakfast became um, almost religious. It was a quarter cup of oatmeal. He loves oatmeal now. Steel, yep, steel cut. Uh, I use quick cook because I'm, I'm very impatient. Um, I while it was boiling, I'd throw the spinach, big handfuls of spinach in there, and would wilt in with the oatmeal. Two or three, sometimes four mangoes, a box of blueberries, 
sometimes a little granola, and then often any kind of other random fruit that might have been on sale. And this is what I ate every morning. It's like kitchen sink oatmeal. You yeah, put everything, everything in, in it, but no sugar, no oil, no da da da. A lot of greens. Mm-hmm. I, I became a big a big proponent of the fact that the greens help dissipate the blood sugar over the day so you don't get that whack yeah. and the spike in the morning. So you, so that by doing that, the greens keep everything kind Absolutely. of, you know, even. I became more of a student than, than I will ever admit to or anyone will ever believe. Um, so 90 days later, mind you, I started out about 320 is what I was weighing in at mm-hmm. ish, depending on the day, probably 330 on a Tuesday. I was a cheeseburger away from a heart attack, no doubt. 245 when I walked in on the night on day 90. My man. And I gave her I took the box of insulin I put on her desk. I said, I'm done. To be a fly on the wall for this conversation. What was her reaction when you dropped that on the desk? She looked at me like I was nuts. Really? She said, no one's ever done that. I said, like I told you, I said, you don't know me. I said, I said, listen, lady. I said, I don't know you either. I said, but here's what I know. I said, you see these toes? I got 10 of them. You see these fingers? I got 10 of them. I'm leaving with them when I'm done. When they put me in the box and they put me under the flowers, I said, I'm leaving with all 10 on my feet and all 10 on my hands. I said, the other place I'm not going is that other really long line down here at the VA. At the VA, there's three long lines. There's the one for the drugs. There's the one for your money where you go and get, you can actually go get paid to go to the VA. They give you money to show up. And there's the one for the dialysis unit. Those are the three places I'm not going. Mm. She looked at me like I was crazy. So I'm now down to about 245 and not done yet. So now go 90 more days, right? I'm 180 out for my next checkup. My A1C was 5'3". I was probably 210 mm-hmm. in weight. And all my numbers were now arguably non-diabetic. Sure. Fast forward another, so a year out. So I go from November to November now. November, I'm totally not, you know, diabetic number-wise. I'm down probably about 204. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, feeling a little too light. I was, I didn't feel strong. Right. You know. Well, it's it's completely new for you well, to be I, that way. And and I mean, I can. I graduated high school at two and a quarter. Yeah, I graduated boot camp in the Marine Corps at 185, but that was a, after a physical experience. Sure. So, I mean, I've been that light like once in my life, but I think I was six. Um, <laughs> but the the so at the end of the day, you know, a year out, I'm, you know, not diabetic. January, the fall, like that, January the next of that next year. I had, now, the other part of the VA, unfortunately, is that after the first 90 days, I had three different doctors. So I got this new doctor. Dr. Tinsley goes through all my numbers, 
everything I've done, looks at me and says, in the record, non-diabetic. Nice. Took it out of my record. Not in my record no more. Probably something he's never done never for done. another patient. Never done. Yeah. Um, he tried to promote my story to the, to the leadership at the VA, and nobody would listen. Mm. Because nobody wants to hear that food heals. Nobody wants to hear that in not all cases do you have to give people medication. Now, I'm not saying that there isn't medication that people need. Type 1 diabetics have to have insulin because they don't have a pancreas. I, I, I mean, I understand that. Right. They don't have to have as much. Right. If you listen to Cyrus, who is a type 1 diabetic right. and has reduced his insulin intake and, and helped a number of my other type 1 friends reduce their insulin intake. But all that to say, there is certain medication that is maybe necessary based on somebody's condition. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. There's two letters not after my name, MD. The three that are after my name are LMT. Love my toes. <laughs> That's the only three letters Go I went to the grave with them. I'm going with them. I, I came with them. I'm leaving with them. What a story, huh? Bob Blackburn. If you're ever looking for someone to come and speak at your event, your office, or with the family, whomever, about reversing diabetes, Bob will get you all sorts of inspired and pumped up about getting your body back in balance. We've put up a link to his Facebook page in the episode notes below, or you can just hop on Facebook and search him out. Look for Coach Bob Blackburn, Diabetic Warrior. Diabetic Warrior. Doggone right he is. <laughs> I'll tell you a quick story. I caught up with a friend of Bob's shortly after we taped this interview. And this guy, he is a, a he's pretty famous. He's a Hall of Fame pro wrestler. If you are a wrestling connoisseur, I will tell you that he is a member of the Four Horsemen from back in the day. Anyway, we were chatting about the success that Bob had, and this guy was stunned by how much weight Bob had lost. He, he said, like, this was just a, a really incredible journey. And so I was thinking to myself, to see a guy who's this famous acknowledge somebody else's success, it's like, man, that's when you know that you have really done something extraordinary. So Bob Blackburn, my hat is off to you, my friend. You are the man. And I tell you, that inspiration and Bob's resolve, that's also why he's featured in Dr. Barnard's new book, Your Body in Balance. Because he shows that it doesn't matter where you come from in life. You can connect with and you can appreciate his story. And for a lot of people, just like his own doctor, they can learn from him that diabetes doesn't have to run your life and that changing up your diet is the best medicine available. And the best news for that is all the fruits and all the vegetables in the world, they are available over the counter. No prescription necessary. That said, I would still love to roll up to the supermarket with a prescription for kale and for bananas and just go wild. How fun would that be, right? It'd be completely unnecessary, be completely wacky, but it'd be fun. 
Food is medicine, my friend. <laughs> so today's show was part three of our Your Body in Balance series. The first episode, if you haven't checked it out yet, that explored how you can get rid of acne and blemishes on your skin by getting your hormones in check. And how do you do that? Well, you change your diet, of course. And the second installment was all about the thyroid. And there were some incredible success stories, just like Bob's, in each of those episodes as well. And so like Bob, Nina and Randa Nelson, they stepped up to the plate and they transformed their lives. Ditto for neurosurgeon Dr. Mike Cowan and film producer Wendy Sachs and teacher extraordinaire Gene Schumacher. These shows... They are chock full of inspiration and overflowing with the science to support it. So I highly recommend giving them a listen. And I got to tell you, thousands already have. And now people are bringing their hormones that have been running haywire. They're bringing those hormonal haywire tendencies right under control and improving their health like they never thought was possible. Really, the entire book is dedicated to sharing the science behind these hormone-related problems. A slew of conditions are covered in there. Things like infertility and erectile dysfunction, endometriosis, PCOS, weight gain, menopausal symptoms, breast cancer, prostate cancer. You name it, it's in the book. And the book covers how simple diet changes can have such a profound impact on all of them. And most importantly, help improve your health. If you'd like to pick up a copy of the book, you can find a link to purchase your body and balance in the episode notes below, or you can head over to pcrm.org slash your body balance. Now, as long as we're talking about the book, I also want to mention that Dr. Barnard is crisscrossing the country to share this hormonal science with you in person. He's in the midst of a mega book tour. So visit pcrm.org slash book tour to check to see if he's coming to a city near you. At last count, I think that there were at least a couple dozen dates on there. I think that all in all, there's going to be something like 40 events that are on this calendar. So pcrm.org slash book tour is the place to go to get the full rundown. And if you are listening in the Washington, D.C. area, special announcement, I would love for you to join us on Friday night, February 7th at Busboys and Poets for a very special live podcast taping. Dr. Barnard and I are going to be sitting down. We're going to be doing a deep dive into all of the science featured in the Your Body and Balance book. And this is a heck of a way to start off the weekend. Get inspired, get coached up. So much science that we're going to be getting into, so much to learn. And the cost of the ticket that night, well, that also includes a copy of the book. So it is a steal of a deal, and we hope to see you there. But you need to reserve your spot because spaces are limited. You can make your RSVPs right now at pcrm.org slash yourbodyandbalance. We've also posted a link to RSVP and purchase tickets in the episode notes below, along with everything else we've mentioned on the show today. And as we're in the clicking mood, real quick, give us a follow on social media at Chuck Carroll WLC. That's good for Twitter and Instagram. And Dr. Barnard. 
Hey, how about this? Finally, after all this time, is on the gram as well, at Dr. Neil Barnard. That's at Dr. Neil Barnard. And the same address, good for Twitter as well, at Dr. Neil Barnard. And also make sure that you subscribe to the Exam Room Podcast by the Physicians Committee on Apple Podcasts and wherever it is that you get your favorite shows so that you, yes, you, can be among the first to get these special episodes each and every week. And when you do subscribe, when you hit that button, please also leave us a five-star rating because that helps even more people find this life-changing and life-saving information. And that's going to do it for us today. The third episode of the Your Body and Balance series. My thanks again to Dr. Neil Barnard and, of course, the incredible Bob Blackburn. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. <laughs>